and welcome to another episode of the Narrative Labyrinth, where we discuss TV, film, literature and games with in-depth reviews, discussion and analysis. I'm your host, Rachel, and today I'm joined by a really lovely guest um, who I haven't seen in ages uh, because of the world we've been living in and they live uh, at the other end of the country. Um, I'd love to welcome Loretta. Hi, hi. What are we here to talk about today? What have I brought you on this podcast to talk about? We're here to talk about uh, cyberpunk and cyberpunk in film and literature. Uh, I am an aspiring game designer uh, and I have run a LARP that Rachel kindly volunteered to crew. I did. (laughs) I enjoyed um, making that room completely in black fabric, filling it with smoke and then sending everyone into their death. That was my favourite thing. Oh gosh, I'm so sad I missed it. I uh, think I was busy, but I saw the photographs. Oh my God. I wish I was there. I wish I could run it again, but you know, that's a topic for another day. Anyways, I design LARPs. uh, I run some and hopefully more in the future. I'm excited uh, for when you do. Um, And uh, we're not here to talk about game design and LARP today. Um, Today I've got you on because you are a a massive uh, science fiction, I want to say fan, but that doesn't really feel like it does it justice. You are, how would you describe it? I am a fan. I am a massive fan. It is out of all of the genres, my my absolute favorite. I like it more than fantasy, much more because of the immense potential it has as a kind of political reflection, I guess. Uh, it, it It is commentary and there's just so many potentials in it, uh, not just in the sense of it being fiction, but potentials as you can use it to say a lot of different things and to explore a lot of different things. So yeah, I, I'm also a practitioner in the sense that I, I'm a creator. I created the sci-fi LARP that I'm very proud of. I'm proud to say that it's probably one of the very first gender exclusive feminist LARPs in this country, I think. I don't, I, I haven't heard of any others before me so yeah I hadn't heard of any others either so yeah both a practitioner and a fan and um I I completely agree with your your definition of science fiction and how I think it has so much more depth and breadth and fantasy to address kind of um world issues and political stuff that is happening in our modern life and how Mm -hmm. we can kind of reanalyze that in this uh kind of entertainment medium Mm-hmm. Um, that is mm-hmm. something that I really love about science fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, so narrowing it down from the wide science fiction, we are talking about one uh, more specific uh, si- genre of science fiction, strand yes. of science fiction. Um, we're here to talk about cyberpunk. think of cyberpunk in my head it's always an aesthetic that I think of first Mm. Um, but actually the more I think about it the more it's it is a movement Um, but the first thing that always comes into my head are those dingy dark streets giant monolithical tower blocks and the kind of neon illuminated signs Um, yes so that's my first thought on cyberpunk where do you where does yours come in I think it you can summarize cyberpunk in the phrase high-tech low-life I think I've heard it this is not my phrase. Uh, it's definitely someone else's phrase, but it's about the contrast between high tech and low life. It's definitely got a very dystopic 
bent. I don't see, I haven't seen any sol solar punk or utopic versions of cyberpunk yet. Uh, I'd say that Blade Runner is probably the headlining, you know, um, <laughs> to reuse a word that you've just used, monolith in the genre. People, when people say cyberpunk, they, th they immediately think Blade Runner. And uh, of course that is problematic because of various reasons. Uh, and so the, the aesthetic, hmm, I think that on top of it being about these huge buildings with lots of different floors that all have different tiny little worlds, um, I think it's also about the dehumanizing effect of technology. So uh, the technology is in the foreground and humans are in the middle ground and humanism is in the background, you know, if you, if you know what I mean by the difference between humans and humanism. Yeah, I no, I completely agree. I think, yeah. I think cyberpunk does that really well. I think it shows us the. I think it shows us the the absolutes. Cyberpunk is a world is is a is a genre, a world of absolutes. As you yeah. say, it's it's the the dehumanization, um, or you know, alienation and isolation. I always think are really big themes as well that come with that and that kind of. Um, I think particularly uh, cyberpunk that comes from um, East Asia, uh, which we'll talk more about. Mm -hmm. um, I think that delves far more effectively and far better into that kind of um mesh of where humanity and human begin and end um mm. i'm thinking particularly in ghost in a shell yeah um yep. and si similar akira similar properties yep. um while kind I, of more western i think we take a more superficial uh view of cyberpunk potentially mm. Um, thinking like Braid Runner, where those those themes are definitely in there, uh, but I think we get far more fixated on those uh, aesthetical elements uh, when it yes. comes to our films. Yes, yes. Uh, I think that the alienation in Ghost in the Shell is from the technology and from the the density of the city, whereas the alienation in Blade Runner is partly from the fact that you're in an alien environment because it it's non-western and there's a lot of language that you don't understand so that foreignness is used as a shorthand for alienation which again is i think problematic especially because there's a lot of uh copycats that have taken that and sort of imported that orientalism into their 80s nostalgia, cyberpunk, like like in The Expanse. Uh, in the first season, there's an episode where uh, the, the lead character in The Expanse is like a, a kind of detective and he's walking through this, you know, boiling pot city, melting pot, sorry, not boiling pot, although it does boil in the sense that there's, there's a rebellion <laughs> going, it, it does go boil over. Um, and yeah, so speaking of boiling, there's there's a, a ramen shop, like a ramen stall in, in the in the scene, and they go to a, they have ramen, and it's become just a, a terrible, terrible, like <sighs> every single cyberpunk environment has to have a ramen shop. 
it it's, it's kind of like a trope. I, I, I'm not even. I so I think uh, people put it in thinking it's an homage to Blade Runner oh, um, and the granddaddy of cyberpunk, and I think it's become a trope that we need to burn. Um, <laughs> yeah, because, <laughs> I um, think I think that uh, one of the things that I don't like about it is because there's so much different kinds of street food in Hong Kong. Just in Hong Kong, just from my hometown, you can go to Mong Kok and you can eat your way down the street and never repeat a food. Like so many different types to showcase. I'm a foodie, so that really offends me uh, that they don't take the effort to look into it. Second of all, I think the other thing about it is that it just feels very, um, it, it didn't get why Ghost in the Shell used so much of Hong Kong as an inspiration. Like, if you watch Ghost in the Shell, there are a lot of scenes that look very dystopic. You've got these, like, really cramped housing, lots and lots of very crowded streets, narrow streets, but it's shown with a kind of beauty of its own and a, a sense and a logic of its own. It, it really picks up the sense of the place. Uh, we Whereas, are talking about the original anime here. Yes, is that correct? That yeah, is. Ju ju just a double check. <laughs> yes, yes. Um. <laughs> yes, absolutely. But, you know... Going back to the original versus the uh, remake, the remake doesn't have any of that. It doesn't have that love. No, but I think for me, um, again, I, through kind of a more, a more Western gaze, mm -hmm. um, the original Ghost in a Shell, I love that um, the kind of um, brutalism that they put into that architecture and that it's mm -hmm. very much um, created for necessity mm -hmm. rather than beauty. And that gives it its own beauty. But I, I am a lover of brutalist architecture because it's, I, cause I just, I just do. Um, it's so um, unappealing and unesthetic that I love yeah. it. Um, yeah. And I feel again, from, from my point of view, from my Western point of view, uh, that was one of the things I loved about the art style within the original ghost in a shell is that it took a lot of this brutalism and it made it personal I mm. felt like all that. See, I felt there were millions of people in that space making mm. that brutalist place and that brutalist architectural style their home. Yes, um, and in the remake, they used a lot of CG to effectively, literally write over a lot of the shots that they took in Hong Kong, and I feel like mildly offended by that because a lot of the a lot of those beauty of hong kong doesn't need to be written over you know you just have to have a good eye for it you just have to have a director of photography who who can find it and i assure you there's no shortage there's no sort shortage of good artists good photography people who can pick it out um so in using cg they basically i feel made it look like every other cyberpunk movie rather than like hong kong if you see what i mean well, what was the point of using hong kong if you were just going to cg all over it i just don't understand you know i think but i think what you said about like that remake and how they did what they did to the architecture is exactly the same as what they've done with kind of this the the, the ramen noodle stand yes yes they they've, have. they've completely yes. homogenized an entire yes. populace of people and yes. culture into one yes. brutalist type of skyscraper <laughs> and one um very type tasty bowl of noodles yeah yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah and it's yeah. like no there's no there's nothing else there's only these two things there are mm. ramen and skyscrapers um and scarlett <laughs> johansson's gonna run across the mall yay oh gosh um 
They did. They changed the plot as well, and I they think did. They, they, they did. They did, didn't they? Uh, and I think it's a shame. Uh, I think the original plot had a lot of philosophical depth to it, the way a lot of cyberpunk does, or a lot of sci-fi does. Like a lot of sci-fi that's about technology, also delves into the idea of consciousness, or the experience of consciousness, or um the viability of conscious ai and how we should treat ai if they existed and these questions i think are really the the reason that sci-fi is so attractive to me and by changing the plot i feel the new ghost in the shell with scarlett johansson really missed all of that and it's such a shame you know i feel I, f- <laughs> I feel what they did is they watched um, the original Ghost in a Shell, but they didn't take any of the rich uh, kind of meaning and, and depth and the, yeah. uh, like that comes through the dialogue. And even if you just – so I watched them back to back because I hate myself. Um, and I watched the um, – I, I watched the, the, the American remake first mm-hmm. Um so I could palate cleanse with the other one. Mm-hmm. And although they recreated some of the, the scenes they and they, and some of them were, were beautifully recreated. You can't deny, I think that visually the oh, colors gosh. and the depth yes. were, be- but it didn't have the soul of the original. And I, I think, think that's really interesting that 20 years later with all that more technology and money, yeah. you couldn't, couldn't you could better. copy a picture, <laughs> but you couldn't recreate its heart and soul. Mm. Um, but we'll come back to Ghost in the Shell because yes. I have I have opinions. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I believe yeah. I believe you do too. I so do. We've spoken a bit about uh Blade Runner being kind of the the, the start, the granddad, mm-hmm. uh the the old white granddad mm. of cyberpunk um in kind of Western audiences. Mm-hmm. Um and it kind of, I felt I felt <laughs> Uh, so I actually didn't see Blade Runner until uh relatively recently. Mm. Um just it was not it was not in circulation uh, when I was sort of at an age to to watch it. It mm-hmm. kind of been and gone, and mm-hmm. sci-fi was really not that popular mm-hmm. as a genre uh, when I was growing up. So it just wasn't a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we, you, you know, you have so previous episode of the narrative labyrinth we spoke about the final girl trope and we spoke a lot about how it started with halloween 1978 which is you know 1982 not far from blade runner was in production about the same time and how uh, from halloween's uh, final girl then to final girls now how they've evolved and expanded and mm. that trope's really mm. been played with but i feel blade runner and the cyberpunk space it created there's been none of that growth or amending. We've kind of gone, this is how it must look. This is what it is. And a lot of our major, I mean, some have pushed that, Mm -hmm. but I feel a lot of the major properties have stuck on that exact same paint by numbers cyberpunk, which we could sort of um, forgive maybe from the eighties, but is Mm. maybe less okay in uh, more recent times. I think that on, on the genre itself, I think you're right. I think that we haven't seen it change. The new sequel to Played Runner is probably the best example of how nobody's really learned anything, nobody's taken in any anything new, or sort of tried to push the edges of the genre. Um, I think that some of the problem 
is that people are very nostalgic. Like I said, I think nostalgia came up earlier in our talk about how you you watch something as a child and then you want to create it when you were a filmmaker adult. And that's that's great. You know, that kind of passion for something, for an aesthetic, for a kind of story. It's it's what drives art. But people don't seem to have interrogated that nostalgia with any critical lens since they've grown up from it. And so you just get remakes and uh, just like remixes and more of the same. I'd say that out of all the cyberpunk that I've seen, I've liked the ones that have taken risks and changed things around. So one of the things that comes up in cyberpunk a lot is um, layering capitalism dystopia on top of a high-tech, low-life uh, background. And so you've got this sort of shadowy corporations in Ghost in the Shell that are making these uh, weaponized robo robots. But it's usually mapped onto, um, it, it's very predictably mapped where the people with money are the people with the robots and the people with tech. And the oppressed people are all fighting to get upgrades. And sometimes a transhuman kind of thread comes through uh, where people uh, are upgrading their bodies. However, if you look at the movie District 9, do you know District 9? Oh, I love District 9. Carry on. So I really love how they switch that around. Now, District 9 is not it's in itself. doesn't. It's also problematic. Right, yes. you've got a, a kind of white guy taking on the narrative of uh, of a black slave. Uh, you can't. It, it's hard to look at that and not think, "Whoa, you know, you better do this right." <laughs> but I think that on balance, it does. Uh, it's I think given... it's one of the better attempts that have exactly. been made. Exactly. I don't think that is the end of it. Right. I don't think this is the pinnacle. I think we could do a lot better, but. In District 9, tech belongs to the aliens. The tech belongs to the immigrants, and it's the humans that are trying to get it. And I really enjoy District 9. I think it's probably one of the most groundbreaking cyberpunk films that, I, that I've seen in the last 10 years. Um, I, I'd like to see more of that, basically. I'd like to see more people taking risks with this kind of... Uh, high-tech, low-life aesthetic and, and just push it, you know? I completely agree. So uh, along that same vein of course, more kind of modern interpretations of, um, have you seen Elysium with Matt Damon? No, I haven't. I haven't. Oh, so Elysium, um, I'm going to spoiler. Okay. Um, that has, um, so I, that takes a lot of uh, cyberpunk. It takes um, big evil capitalism uh, and the kind of the haves and the have-nots, but also uh tech enhancements um and uh so humanity um is somewhere is on the earth some are in elysium which is the the big uh, spinning wheel of perfection up in the sky where everyone's perfect and everything is sorted and you know they have magical med bays that they go and lay in and everything is cured forever while people left on the earth left in the kind of desolate um and destitute mm -hmm. world that we've left behind so climate change has taken effect mm -hmm. um and humans are the cheap commodity, um, mm. which I think is a, a, a nice play on it because a lot of the time you find that uh, robots and machinery is, a, is the cheap commodity. Mm. Um, 
and it talks it, it it challenges a lot of kind of um particularly climate change and where that will take us um mm. but also if we have this technology why is it not shared around and it definitely um puts quite a harsh lens on on capitalism that way um yeah. but it does it does still take east asian elements um mm. the bad guy bounty hunter has a katana uh and the final uh, fight is done in front of some cherry blossom trees mm. um so we don't have any ramen noodle stands sadly no, um no. Or- but we have the, all, the other things that are basically the same thing where you've taken a whole history a whole culture uh and you've kind of turned them into objects you've turned them into a, an aesthetic layer on top of whatever cool fight scene you have um it, it's sort of ironic because High tech low life is very much about objectification. It's in its exploration about what it is to be human. It it usually turns people into objects, makes them cheap, um, yep. or it turns people into weapons, like Ghost in the Shell. Yep. And she she feels very dehumanized by the fact that she's a weapon. Um, and this combination of capitalism and technology, like I, it's one of the strongest points of this genre. And I feel like it's ironic that the genre itself has made the mistake that the genre seeks to critique. Yeah. I mean, there's no, no, no real way of saying it. It's just uh, so like ironic. And I think the thing about using... So, you know, let's just step back and talk about Orientalism really quickly. Just a whistle stop, you know? Uh, you've taken a lot of the aesthetics, like you say, the katana, the cherry blossom, the ramen... Uh, the neon signs, uh, and you've left everything else that's problematic behind. And there's no, there's no getting around that katanas are freaking cool. Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Don't want to rain on anyone's parade, but you know, katanas, cool. Cherry blossoms, gorgeous, beautiful. Like there's no getting around that all of this is cool. It looks cool. It feels cool. But what did, what what are we doing when we take things and we just enjoy them for how cool and pretty they are you know it it turns it into a kind of porn right it turns it into um a kind of pleasure product and sci-fi has a lot to say about this as well i mean there's pat cadigan uh she wrote a novel called i think sinners spelled s y n n e r s like as in synthetic and there's a a quote in it that talks about how you know in the future everything is porn you know there's food porn and and there's color porn and there's sex porn but there's also just like literally every kind of porn you could think of anything you you can just consume anything you want for pleasure and there is a market to sell you that you know and is that a future that cyberpunk can critique as well yes i want to see a cyberpunk film of the novel sinners wouldn't that be great like wouldn't yes (laughs) have you read sinners i have but you know what i mean by that bit about porn right when when they completely 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 and as i as i said there's nothing wrong with enjoying a little bit of trash you know everyone enjoys a bit of we we like goodness knows um, you know, romanticization is, isn't, hasn't done any huge harm. Like it's not 
world ending, but interrogating that, you know, uh, being aware of that nostalgia and the kicks you get out of it. Um, there's more, there's just more ways to feel edified. <laughs> edified seems like a very moralistic way of saying it. There's more ways to feel pleasure from art than pure pleasure is what I'm trying to say. No, I, I, I think that's, that's something we have not learnt um, yeah. in our creation of this shot. Like, as I say, in the 40 years since we started making the shot, I think we're still, I think we're still doing that. We're still making that same mistake. Yeah. We're, we're, we're putting it in because it looks, it looks, ooh, it looks, looks sexy or it looks, mm. you know, cool. dehumanizing or cool. Um, and I think, I think that kind of goes back to, so I can see why in the late 70s and early 80s, um, American Hollywood made their enemy or their globalist cities in this way. If you think um, how mm. kind of politics and culture was at the time, um, you know, there was there was the the technology boom coming from the from the east, um, from East Asia. And a lot of people uh, in America particularly felt that was a threat on their american way of life but mm. still wanted all these cheap electronics mm. so they still wanted their vcr player they still wanted yes. their camcorder um but it was scary and over there um and with more mass media that was kind of the real boom in mass media and continuous you know television mm. was a real thing film was was churning out lots and bigger films with technology um so i can see how it was a commentary on the future that america was worried about in the 80s Mm. I'm not sure in the, 2021. The, the, yeah, 2021 or even, you know, in the last decade or 15 years, I'm not sure that is still um, a relevant point that can be made. I think that point is, is dead. Yeah. Um, and I think maybe we should have moved past it. I completely um, agree. Completely, completely agree. And I think a film is only made at one point in time and it can only reflect the opinions of the creators of the time or, or the zeitgeist of the time. So I think, uh, well, I hate to say I give Blade Runner a pass on that. It is creating something of its time. I think, yeah, where I struggle with it is why we're in the fifth element in 1997. That's still there. There's a ramen scene in the fifth element too. I mean, at least I think that that scene has, it's, it's got an improvement on the original and the the two the the, the stall owner and um bald guy. Oh gosh. What is it? Die hard bald guy. What is his name? <laughs> He's die hard bald guy from now on. <laughs> well, die hard bald guy and the noodle seller have a kind of conversation. Like we have a little they have a little rapport. Um and I think so, that's so, so do you see it as a rapport? Because his name's Bruce Willis, by the way. Um <laughs> Bruce Willis. Because um, he's not bald in the Fifth Element, he's still got hair. A little um, bit, a little bit. <laughs> I, so I, I, I like the I, I'm, I like the fact you interpret it as a conversation. I saw it way more as the old kind of wise Asian man selling oh, yes. him noodles, giving yes. him sage advice. I'm not like, saying I'm not saying it's still like it's good. I'm just saying it's just a little bit better over the original. Is what oh, I'm okay. saying. So it's better than Blade Runner because at least they have a conversation. Yes, exactly. Um, it's not a good conversation. No. But I also think um, Lilu uh, from Fifth Element could be seen to represent some of that kind of um, East Asian style and um, as well um, mm. that comes from Blade Runner. Mm. Um, not a huge amount, but a bit. 
Um, I'm actually not a huge fan of The Fifth Element as a film, um, which offends everybody when I say it. Why does it offend anyone? It's 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 a it's a bit of fluff. Like the it is very much ninety nine percent aesthetics and one percent plot. <laughs> like like there's not 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 much is going on. It's not oh, really one percent. Wow. Uh, <laughs> oh, you you hate it that much? Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. I feel yeah. like it's just a it, there isn't a, it, it's just a very basic plot on, on a very pretty background. Mm. Um, and again, that pretty background just feels um, for me. It's that some of it is a little uh, sci-fi tired. has sci-fi has a problem with pretty black backgrounds. I think this is the the conclusion of what we've been talking about. I feel like. Sci-fi has a problem with pretty backgrounds. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know because he made he made other things, right? There's this the the new thing that he made is about um, two people who just run around on a pretty background. Also, kind of cyberpunk. One is a girl and one is a guy. I can't remember the name of that. Uh, uh, Val- Valerium. That's right. That's right. Valerium. Valerium. So, Hold on. I, I've probably completely butchered how that is pronounced. No. I mean, that is based on a French comic. I ah. guess that makes it less. Uh, I look. I I don't give films a pass because they're based on books. I don't think like as in, um, I I don't think that saying a film is deficient because it was based on some other thing is necessarily a defense. Um, I think that the filmmaker who made these two films again name completely. He's into his pretty backgrounds the way the Wachowskis are also into their pretty... Wachowskis also lots of sci-fi films, lots of sci-fi TV shows, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But Jupiter Rising is just a, a lady and that's being shuffled from background to background. Like, <laughs> nothing happens. Channing like, Tatum has some very pretty eyeliner in that movie, though, as he does uh, shuffle Jupiter <laughs> from... from um, And sometimes Eddie Redmayne is chewing that scenery for all it's worth. Yeah, I mean, he's got a, a very strong set of gnashers, though. <laughs> and that scenery does not stand a chance. No, it really doesn't. Um, um, uh, uh, <laughs> I I think that because sci-fi as a genre is about concepts, we're very into our world building. We're very into our gadgets. We're very into like extrapolating these huge worlds. And we want to show the viewers the world. We want to show our readers. We want to show our players the world. But at the end of the day, you still got the, the problems that every other narrative form has. You have to tell a story. You have to have characters. You have to engage the viewer or the audience or the consumer in some kind of thinking. So, And is um, the only way to do that with a noodle stand and some neon lights? Yeah. No, the noodle stand's gone. It's just gone. Those noodles are soggy. Like, it's been, <laughs> it's been in the bowl for way too long. <laughs> so... If we're talking about uh, pretty backgrounds, particularly um, East Asian influenced pretty backgrounds, um, I think the Star Wars prequels um, massively um, ah, they're just racist, aren't they? That's, yeah, that's there's just... nothing, not, nothing more you can say about it other than uh, yeah, it's, it's very, very. Racist. Thinking uh, Coruscant as a planet, um, mm. I think has a very uh, cyberpunk aesthetic uh obviously tweaked for the star wars universe mm. um and the uh quote-unquote villains um of the first of the prequel films are um i think definitely um 
influenced by East Asian aesthetic um, mm. and speech patterns in a way that is, in my opinion, quite problematic. Um, yes, yes, it is. And that I doesn't think... stop me loving Star Wars as a thing. No one, no one comes no. to me. Um, but no. I think, yeah, I, I, I find that very difficult to mm. watch. There's, way, there's definitely ways of triggering that uh, xenophobia feeling of horror without getting into that. It's just harder. It's kind of like how we say comedians can't make jokes about race or it, it's it's possible. I've definitely seen a lot of good comedians. You just have to have a higher bar. Like you just have to try harder and um, not go for the low hanging fruit. But it, it also depends on us kind of demanding the high hanging fruit. If you see what I mean? We got obviously the the people who make these things, the people who make the films, they, they're motivated by different things than the viewers, but the viewers do motivate them. And I think that we can speak up on social media or what, wherever, I think, that you spend your money or kind of make your voice heard. Maybe even fan-made podcasts, possibly Maybe. one day. <laughs> um, if the powers that be hear this, you know, try harder, just a little, you know? Everyone else has a, a job that's difficult. You earn your money. You earn that. You earn that film ticket. It's fourteen quid. <laughs> so you've obviously uh, mentioned, but not not really explicitly said yet. So what's what's your connection to Hong Kong and the 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 aesthetic of cyberpunk? Where does your right? Where does so, that come from for you? I grew up in Hong Kong, and uh, I lived in that scenery for the first 14, 15 years of my life. I also lived there for four years after I graduated from college. Uh, so it's a good chunk of my life. I have a lot of fond memories of it. Um, my father was actually born in Kowloon City. Kowloon Wall City is, um, it was a bit of an, an illegal anomaly. And the buildings that sprung up there because of the taxation legal anomaly uh, made it very terrible place to live in. It was very crowded. Uh, people lived in tiny, tiny apartments. Uh, the whole of the rooftop of that two square block was just a drug den. It was just a, it was a dystopian landscape that inspired a lot of East Asian cyberpunk. Uh, and a lot of the aesthetics come from there. And so it's uh, the, the scars that come from being that poor, as my father was, they don't end with his generation. You know, they don't end with my grandmother, him. Um, those scars do kind of ripple through the generations. And I think I, can't, I grew up in great privilege. However, those things do stay with you anyways. And sometimes I get angry because the, the scenery of poverty is being used in that way. You know, it's taken because it's pretty, it's taken because it looks cool, um, but it doesn't show all the people who lived there and, and their lives and their poverty and their suffering. And they don't, they don't get anything out of it. They don't get any royalties or anything. 
and I'm not saying that it should. I'm just saying that not many people are aware of how appropriation hurts people. So I guess they've kind of dehumanized the people of exactly. the cities that they've taken the aesthetic from. Exactly. Which and is probably the most cyberpunk thing you could do. Again, it this is, comes up again and again in our, in our talk. It just, it's the, the genre itself seems to produce these pieces of art that are mirroring the very thing that they're trying to critique. And it's about, it's about whether or not you can take down the master's house with the master's tools. You know, at the end of the day, you're in a, a capitalist machine. You're making a film. It has to make money. You have, and therefore it has to look cool. It has to have aesthetics. It has to be trendy. So how, how can you, how can you critique fully while being part of the system? It's, it's a, a, it's a kind of political resistance that is very difficult to do. Let's, let's not shy away from that. Activism and resistance are difficult. It's, and I think, sorry, especially please. when, sorry. <laughs> please go ahead. I think especially when we're talking about the more Western cyberpunk films um, and thinking um, in the ones being made now um, that we now have this weird obsession with kind of retro vintage. So we're looking back to the the early 80s and things like that for our our stuff. So we're we're perpetuating the stereotype um, and the feelings within our creation. I'm thinking uh, Ready Player One. Mm. which although is not billed as a cyberpunk movie completely is mm. because it's all about evil corporations and slums and um i think they they build very westernized slums in fact they're kind of uh vertical trailer parks yeah. which is obviously a very um, american kind of mm-hmm. idea but they build it in in my opinion in a very uh really trying to mimic that style of hong kong that that is shown in mm. um the early cyberpunk films mm. that kind of uh, monolithic dirty high rises of of hodgepodge put together and i mm. feel i feel that is not done from a place of love mm. and trying to homage it i feel mm. that's done from we want to get that kind of retro cyberpunky aesthetic and vibe let's yeah. just make it look like this I, I feel like it's done the modern ghost in a shell thing where it's taken the the it's it's repainted the scene but it's not taken any of the understanding yeah. or heart from it yeah definitely and you have to remember as well that a lot of people's everyday lives are cyberpunk if you live as a first nations person in america your life is cyberpunk the apocalypse happened all your people died you know you have all this technology but does it make you happy? No, it doesn't. It probably just dehumanizes you further. You have nothing that you valued and everything you don't need. <laughs> so it's not, it's not just me is what I'm saying. It's like a lot of different cultures all around the world you see living normal lives that are cyberpunk, that are high tech, low life. Um, and if we don't critique the genre, then how can we critique the world we live in and improve it? You know, like we have to start at least with our fiction, you know, surely that's the easy way to do it. Like the easier way around solve fiction first. I love that. Solve fiction first. Um, so going back to ghost in a shell. Yes. Um, and the comparison between the, the original and the modern. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, 
originally was quite excited at the thought of them making a, a live action Ghost in yes. a Shell, having loved the original um, yeah. uh, movie and then the subsequent TV series and second movie that came from it, mm. um, but then got increasingly disillusioned with it mm. um, as I heard more and more about the production. Mm. and what was being created mm -hmm. um how how did you feel about it or feel about it now it is now it does exist i think that i got very emotionally affected by it uh and in in a way i didn't think i was going to because recent history uh very 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 recent history in hong kong has been very dystopic and um very oppressive and the storyline of the remake is about fascist oppression. And there's a bridge scene in it uh, of a kind of very iconic bridge from Causeway Bay that has arches going along the side. And there's a kind of folk magic institution that is situated in the, in the area under the bridge, under this huge flyover. Uh, that's very well known in Hong Kong. It's called, um, like, in, in Cantonese, it's Da Siu Yan, which roughly translates to beating evil people, like <laughs> hitting them in a kind of folk magic way. So you take a picture of your ex to uh, these women under the bridge and they'll take a shoe and like they'll beat the picture of the person that you hate whilst chanting uh things like invoking invoking the monkey king invoking Quan yin invoking the buddha they sort of do this ritual for a fee and it's 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 a favorite of the tabloids in hong kong by the way <laughs> whenever some politician has been an ass there'll be like a big headline with a big splashy photograph of uh, one of these women hitting a picture of the of the the offending politician with a shoe, and it's something that's that gives me like warm happy vibes when I think about what I love about Hong Kong. It's just so full of these interesting things that you don't get in the UK. Things that are very unselfconsciously, um, just unselfconsciously spiritual without. Without really, because like if you go into London and something somebody's doing some Wicca thing, it's like they they meant to do it, you know. They spirituality is um, much more pedestrian in Hong Kong. Like just it's just everywhere, and nobody thinks of it as spirituality with a with a capital S, or it's not like Wicca with a capital W the way it is in the UK because we live in a very uh, secular world you see what i mean um, no no i do and i feel like they've taken the image of that temple under the bridge and they've turned it into something that gets kind of crushed and beaten up by the fascist fascist system sorry the fascist system within the movie and i felt that it was hurtful because um because of recent history with all the students dying in Hong Kong and not just students, activists generally, people getting spirited away into um, nowhere, disappearances. Uh, it, it's just like hit me the wrong way in the wrong time because I watched it recently, basically. Uh, I, I feel like the real background to the temple under the bridge 
with the whole folk magic background. And that was so interesting. I feel like something could have been done with it fictionally, whereas they chose to just use it as an image of like the tattoo with the burning building. And, and then like, it just seemed like such a sad use of it that I, I felt disappointed by it. Well, I'm now super angry that that's that's the direction they chose to take that in. Yeah. Um, this is I had not heard this. This is news to me, and I'm like, well, I'm I, I I agree with you. I feel there's there's a way more interesting fictional um, take on that that they could have put in the film mm, um, uh, rather than just using it as a backdrop for another um, important conversation mm. that could have been anywhere. You know, I so. Um, thank you for telling that. That was absolutely fascinating. I just sat here, <laughs> listened to it like, oh, wow, this is... Um, and it's now made me even more angry about the movie. Mm. Um, so something I I found difficult about the remake of Ghost in a Shell. Um, so I read a lot of stuff about, obviously, Scarlett Johansson uh, taking on the lead role um, and how um, problematic that was. Uh, but then apparently the creator coming out and saying, no major was 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 meant to be more westernized in their appearance and that's that's not a huge problem i i don't know how much i i believe of that i i haven't fact checked it recently mm-hmm. um but what i did find interesting is all the major characters uh good and bad um in the remake are all white they're western um very few of the actual cast are um east asian there's one one of them is from Hong Kong and is actually quite well known as an actor in Hong Kong. One of the cops that's on Major's team. I don't know if you recall. Yeah. Uh, he is a Hong Kong actor. Um, but other than him, yeah, nobody. And uh, it is a shame because it's just, shouldn't they be speaking Cantonese? I mean, they are in Hong Kong. <laughs> Why are they speaking Japanese? Uh, I, I suppose it's not set in. It's, 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 it's not East Asian. What difference does it make? Yeah. Why? Why? <laughs> it doesn't matter. This is for Western audiences. They don't know the difference. They're mm. not going to care. Ooh, ooh, <laughs> ooh, scary East Asian. Ooh, pretty night. That's how I feel. It was was. Yeah. That, sorry, that was. Yeah. Um, that's how I felt. We were treated as a Western audience. Like, well, it doesn't matter. Mm. It doesn't matter because all you need to know is it's in the East. And, and it's scary and it's scary and yeah. it's different mm. um and but it has got really pretty lights and they sell noodles so mm. <laughs> um sorry that is how i that's and i i guess i don't appreciate as a as a member of the audience being treated that way yeah um with that kind of yeah. oh it doesn't matter um and i, I think mean, that's what you were very you, i mean you, you you say you were very fascinated by the thing about hitting the bad people with the shoes like i i feel like you're not the only one i feel like a lot of people would like to know about that or like see that as part of the film um so i don't i don't think that the extra research or the extra effort would have been wasted in any way i think that you could have maybe made the film even more unique and special like i said using cg to overwrite so much of the scenery just made it look like every other cyberpunk film you know you could have told me that was a clip from from Coruscant in Star well, exactly. Wars or from Fifth Element, and I've gone, oh, okay, then there is no, there is nothing that makes it Hong Kong, um, mm-hmm. and I think I found that really sad, especially when, as you say, Hong Kong, um, I, 
I hate the, I hate saying this, um, but Hong Kong was 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 almost a character within the film itself. Yeah. Um, it wasn't just a backdrop; it was it was woven into the story. Yeah. Um, and I feel that, yeah, I feel that was not the case in the remake. Yeah. Um, and I feel that's the same with the things like um, Alita: Battle Angel as well. Um, when they, to to a lesser extent, it's a, a more fictional city. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, we had kind of a, a Western remake and. It was all just a bit cherry picked, mm. um, I guess, of of which bit of um, of the traditional uh, original properties we're going to take. And I know you could say that about any remake or any adaptation is you can't take it all. Um, mm. But I feel to pick the again the aesthetics, the pretty images, um, the neon signs, and the and the and the fear of the east but none of the none of the folklore i guess none of the mm. none of the humanity mm. um as as you've just told us this fascinating bit of humanity mm. um that i had no idea about mm. and i'm now deeply fascinated by um i i think that i think i think one of my favorite scenes in in the original ghost in the shell is the fighting scene where they're in this sort of flooded area and it's also one of my favorite scenes in the new one because it, it produces basically like frame for frame. They have this fight scene where she's kind of at turns invisible and not invisible, and this guy's getting beat up, and there's a huge reflective pool that seems to stretch on forever, like an eternity pool. Oh, it's so beautiful. It is so beautiful. And the lighting is just perfect. And uh, you see in the background these brutalist. I don't think intentionally brutalist by that. I think it's just incidentally brutalist because it's cheap housing. Um, <laughs> it's these incidentally brutalist housing blocks in the background. Um, and it's there's a sense of complete silence and quietness. And when I was little, I actually lived in one of those blocks with my grandmother, who was my main carer when I was little. And uh, we didn't have as much money as we did today. And I remember that quiet that afternoon quiet that sense of peace sometimes you just lean out of the the balcony that you share with every single person on the block um and you look at the sky i felt like they reproduced what it was like to be there like it felt like home and so it's just all the more annoying that the remake kind of didn't really recapture that is all i wanted to say and I think that's, I think it's important to acknowledge that when it is done well, it is done well. Yeah. And it does give you that pang of homesickness or, yeah. um, but when it's done badly, it actually infuriates you. Yeah. So yeah. we, how, how do we, how do we fix cyberpunk? I guess that's, that's, we've talked about why it's, how, how we love it, mm-hmm. even though it's problematic and mm-hmm. how we struggle with it. How do we fix it? What do we do to make cyberpunk better? So. You've got notes here, haven't you? (laughs) Yes, I do. So what I really (laughs) wanted to do was to end the podcast uh, with a reading of this poem called Pretty by a British writer called Stevie Smith. And her poem is just, it really encapsulates what I think is wrong with how we use appropriated cultural imagery and appropriate to cultures in art. Uh, I'll read it and you see if you agree with me. Okay. Yep. Okay. 
So the title is Pretty. Why is the word pretty so underrated? In November, the leaf is pretty when it falls. The stream grows deep in the woods after rain, and in the pretty pool, the pike stalks. He stalks his prey, and this is pretty too. The prey escapes with an underwater flash, but not for long. The great fish has him now. The pike is no longer fish who always has his prey. And this is pretty. The water rat is pretty. His paws are not webbed. He cannot shut his nostrils as the otter can and the beaver. He is torn between land and water. Not torn, he does not mind. The owl hunts in the evening and it is pretty. The lake water below him rustles with ice. There is frost coming from the ground in the air mist. All this is pretty. It could not be prettier. Yes, it could always be prettier, the eye abashes. It is becoming an eye that cannot see enough. Out of the wood, the eye climbs. This is prettier, a field in the evening, tilting up. The field tilts to the sky. Though it is late, the sky is lighter than the hill field. All this looks easy, but really, it is extraordinary. Well, it is extraordinary to be so pretty. And it is careless, and that is always pretty. This field, this owl, this pike, this pool are careless, as nature is always careless and indifferent. Who sees, who steps, means nothing. And this is pretty. So a person can come along like a thief, pretty, stealing a look, pinching the sound and feel, lick the icicle broken from the bank, and still say nothing at all, and only cry pretty. Cry, pretty, 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 and soon you'll be able, very soon not even to cry pretty, and so be delivered entirely from humanity. This is the prettiest of all. It is very pretty. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're welcome. I've never heard that poem before. Um, it's great, isn't it? Isn't it great? Yeah. Um, it flows really well. Mm. Um, and I completely... I think I get what you're saying with it as well. Um, mm. Mm. How did how did you come to pick that as a as your analogy? Uh, I think it's it's always been one of my favorite poems, and I think uh, it came up when I was talking about sinners with my friend, uh, and how in Sinners by Pat Cadigan, there's this sense of consumption without thought, this sense of consumption of, of uh, media for pleasure without interrogating the uh, that the motive or the direction of that pleasure. Uh, I'm not saying that things, like I said in the beginning of this talk, sure, katanas are cool, you know? You just falling cherry blossoms, gorgeous. Like, what, what can you say? It is pretty, but at the end of the day, Maybe it should be a bit more, like it should be about a little bit more than that. Yes. We fix cyberpunk by making it more of what it says it is. Yes. <laughs> yes. Be more, do more, yes. achieve more. Yes. Do you think there is a place, do you think cyberpunk can separate itself from that, from that aesthetic that Blade Runner set out way back when? I think it's about changing the structures that fund art in the first place and 
it's not a satisfying answer, I know, but my cynical view is that the master's tools will never take down the master's house. We need to look to consuming more independent art, independent film, uh, and, and supporting independent filmmakers in order to really get the cyberpunk that we deserve. So you think we, 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 we can't change until we change the funding structures. Yeah, that, that is what I think. Yeah. So, so are we doomed to repeat this cyberpunk rotation of noodles and neon lights? I really hope not, Rachel. I really hope that uh, people will demand more, that they'll, again, look to independent artists, writers, filmmakers, be more like sort of... Uh, conscious in their consumption of the art and kind of push back a bit and hopefully change if we change our consumption cycles and our cons consumption patterns then we destabilize the monolith that is filmmaking yeah yeah what do you think yeah i think this is uh so synonymous of where we are as a culture anyway mm -hmm. um where we are so busy looking backwards for our inspiration um to tell stories um uh, now that we are losing where we should go with them that that's 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 a really nebulous answer isn't it sorry that's um i hope that makes sense that like it i does. think i think especially with our current um I guess our, our entertainment need for safety, we are only making remakes, remasters, uh, adapting other properties. Mm. Uh, Disney owns everything and is never going to stop making Marvel movies and Star Wars movies. We've lost a lot of space to make unique, special things. Mm. That's not saying the stuff that's being made isn't, isn't brilliant and fun and enjoyable, um, but I think we've squeezed the space where we could break out of that cyberpunk mold that we've kind of forced ourselves into. Mm. I think we've squeezed the space where that creativity can harbor. I think we've, we've crushed it a bit. Mm. And um, cyberpunk should, I, and, sorry, not cyberpunk, but sci-fi generally should be forward looking and not backward looking. Right? But do you not think a lot of our sci-fi has been very backwards looking? I do think it's been very backwards looking. I mean, the remake of Blade Runner is just Blade Runner, but more gray. It's also in 4K. Don't forget. It's a rabbit. It's like you can now look at you noodles in more detail, but that's still noodles. But it's just grayer than it was before. And it's just this like there's a whole genre of sci-fi that is just gray, you know, like Halo. Like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> the Xbox genre of yeah. science fiction gray. Oh um no, I think I think. I think there are some pieces that try and push out from that, but I think they are sporadic. Mm. Um, and I think they need, they need more, more love. Yes. Um, District I nine. Like, I feel, yeah. I feel like we've ended this okay. on a really, um, cyberpunk, <laughs> a, a, like a, a low cyberpunk note, which is, um, which is the most cyberpunk thing I think we could have done yeah. is end it on a, yeah. on, on, a <laughs> yeah. on a, on a less, uh, less upbeat note. Um, so how do you, how do you, right. Final question. How mm -hmm. do you reconcile the fact that you love science fiction, love cyberpunk, despite the fact it's so problematic? I'd say that if you lose hope, 
then you lose everything. So I have to continue to hope in order to continue to live, really. I live in hope that there'll be better cyberpunk and better sci-fi because just existing is resisting. I like that. So you're going with the hope punk aspect of this. You're holding the hope in a cyberpunk world well, yes. again which is the most cyberpunk yes thing yes yes it is uh, it's it's cyberpunk all the way down you know it is i at this point you are almost a parody of cyberpunk i, I guess at this point um, i don't i don't mind i like being funny so yeah <laughs> i don't mind and can you rock a trench coat though i have many trench coats I, i'm a little short i'm a little short for the trench coat, but i um i can do I can do a good red lip. So. Okay, so so you can yeah. you can okay, so you can live your cyberpunk, uh, your hope punk, hidden in a <laughs> cyberpunk uh, <laughs> reality. Uh, um, I want to thank you so much for coming on. Um, mm-hmm. and so uh, that is it for another episode. Um, I would like to thank my guest uh, Loretta again, um, for coming on and talking about science fiction, cyberpunk, um, and writing the wrongs thereof. Mm. Um, is there any parting words you'd like to say, or anything you'd like to shamelessly plug? I'm restarting my blog on Medium. My Medium handle is Loretta Lock. That will be I... in the description below. Don't yes. worry. Yes, and. As a aspiring game designer, hopefully you can go to the blog, take a look at what I've written there. Excellent. So don't forget to check out uh, Loretta's blog, which uh, will be in the description on whatever platform you are choosing to listen to this on. Um, And don't forget to catch the next episode uh, when we will yet again be delving into the depths of narrative on the screen, on the page and in the stories we create and play ourselves. Thank you very much for listening and goodbye.